I want to begin tonight with one of my favorite poems. Many of you have heard this many times, but I, this is the feeling I wanted to begin with tonight. It's entitled, Bugs in a Bowl, from David Budbill. Han Shan, the great and crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said, we're just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around, never leaving their bowl. One second. Oh, it's gotten his eye. Do you want some water? Got some water, anyone? Let's all just uh, extend a little loving-kindness. Okay, if I keep going. I'll begin again. Kevin will be okay. I hope so. Han Shan, the great and crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said, we're just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around there, going around never leaving their bowl. I say, that's right. Every day climbing up the steep sides, sliding back, over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of their bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself, or look around, see your fellow bugs, walk around, say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. So in the in the um, this little movement from head on our hands, cry, moaning, feeling sorry for ourselves, to look around, see your fellow bugs. This move is the is the the net effect, the natural the natural effect of coming out of the tangle of our own preoccupation our own, you could call it self-absorption, whatever, whatever fixation or, or um, proliferation, whatever story our mind is telling, wherever we're spinning. And there are a lot of things to spin about. But the net effect of coming out of that tangle, and we do that in every moment 
of waking up to where we are, just to the fact that you're here. When you wake up to where you are, our heart goes out. We look around, we see our fellow bugs, and we say, how you doing? We, did you see how quickly everyone responded to Kevin? This is the natural movement of the heart. In a recent retreat, that how many, how many of you were on the retreat this last? There are several people from the retreat this last week. On the night before the end of the retreat, a woman got bit by a, a rattlesnake, and of course, in that state of openness, it's uh, you know helped by the by the presence of about 20 firemen and three fire trucks and an ambulance, which was unbelievable. But with all of that um, energy that came up the hill, but before all of that, there was such a genuine and beautiful response of the heart from everyone around. It came out of, came out of the tangle of their own internal preoccupation. And that's what they had been practicing all week, is waking up, waking up, waking up, the effect of that, the effect of being awake and alert, is his loving kindness, is caring. So all that I speak about, all that the teachings point to about seeing through the self-illusion, seeing the illusion of that version of ourselves that's playing in our mind, first of all, that we become so preoccupied with, which is mostly filled with comparisons and judgments and plans and memories and all the things that are part of being human, but to the degree that we become lost in it, we live in a little, a very small, narrow vortex of our imagination. And we start mistaking that version of reality that's playing in our minds for reality. And meanwhile, life and each other are happening while we're busy, while we're busy uh, thinking. And so we, we in, through our practice of waking up, we see through that particular illusion of ourselves that the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, self-view, and we see that a view of ourself is not really ourselves. It's what we are actually can't so easily be put in words or described. We can only be that which we are. Like, how do you describe your present experience here? And how does that fit into the narrative of your life? So if our narrative is also unique and beautiful and it reflects all the different streams of conditioning that, that brought us into being, but in real time it can't quite capture the immediate and direct experience that we have. And it's out of that immediacy that the heart responds. It's out of that immediacy that even when we give rise to a thought of someone like Kevin or anyone who may be in distress, we are able to hear the, the, the quivering of the heart. We're able to then recognize that that person 
that group, that, that race, that gender, that orientation, that, that class, that whatever it is, does not exist independently apart from us. That's what we hear when we're quiet and we wake up. We see that there is no one and nothing that exists apart from us. That we, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, that we inter are. And yet, because we have so much more habit strength, practice strength, you could say, in thinking about ourselves. And we think about ourselves out of love, out of trying to figure it out, trying to, trying to, trying to make sense of this crazy spinning world, trying to find peace. We're thinking about ourselves. But the, the problem with just thinking about ourselves is that we, we don't necessarily resolve anything. Distracting ourselves doesn't seem to resolve anything. And then when we become very bound up in frustration for not having solved the riddle of life, on top of it, we compound it by being really hard on ourselves about it. And we forget or just lose touch with the the common sense that any kind of self-judgment or self-recrimination, as one Indian teacher put it, named uh, Nisargadad, he says, your, um, any self-judgment or self-crimination, self-hatred is a grievous error. He says, your flight from pain and your search for pleasure, you know, which we, of course, do compulsively, your flight from pain and search for pleasure is a sign of love you bear for yourself. But all I plead with you is this. Make love of yourself perfect. Give yourself awakening or infinity. And, then, and realize that you're beyond all, these, all this turmoil, beyond these descriptions. But it is recognizing that part that is awake, that's beyond all these descriptions, that allows the unfurling or the, the radiance of a heart. That allows us to be able to, to notice, oh, there are, in this world, if you're born, there are a lot, there's a lot of shit going on. Excuse the expression. Not just that, that that cheapens it in a way. There is so much sorrow. There is so much suffering in this world. And it does not harm us to open to that. That's what what saves us. That's what gives that meaning, that relief, that sense of belonging, that sense of solving the riddle is when we open our hearts to each other, that we come out of the tangle of me and mine. And that and that we use not only, not only all those who are in distress, which is, I actually made a list tonight, and that I wanted us to just, just bring them into our, our, our great heart, to really let, let it sink in, our care, 
which comes naturally, I think, when we consider those who are in great distress. Just think today, just think of the 800,000 young people who are essentially cruelly being terrorized by the by the circumstances of their completely out of their control, of their having been brought here when they were children. Now, the, for those who weren't paying attention to the news, the president has just uh, begun the unraveling of the deferred action for, um, for undocumented uh, immigrants so that they, they live with the threat of deportation, loss of work, loss of education, everything. This is the only country they've ever, they've ever lived in. We just hold them in our hearts for a moment. This is dukkha. This is in our midst. It's endless, but I'll just say that the North Korean people live in a basically a, a national prison under a, a complete madman. You know, if, if, they're, if, they're, if someone is born into a family where their parents were uh, either di um, dissidents or got in trouble for any reason, the, the other family members for multiple generations continue to be incarcerated through no, absolutely no fault of their own. This is the dukkha of this world. Just hold in your heart for a moment. You know it. There are so many people starving, hungry. Hunger in this world. Those who are, who are ill. We have in our Sangha, in my orbit, so many people who are ill right now. Our dear Frank, who is our great Sangha benefactor, is in his is in the active dying process right now. He used to sit in the front row every year for every week for years. Just all, and that's just the beginning, just in wide circles. Of course, this is part of our life. We open to it. But dealing with the suffering of, of illness, the suffering of refugees, how many people are refugees in this world? I, I don't know how many of you are New York Times sus subscribers. I'm sure more of you in the last year. That was kind of funny, I thought. <laughs> but uh, the New York Times had a uh, fairly short documentary yesterday. Many of you may have watched it if you if you go on their website, but a documentary from 2015 of the people, the local community of the island of Lesbos in Greece, who essentially single-handedly were entrusted, empowered to, uh, to save literally hundreds, thousands 
of boat refugees, children pulling them out of the water, hundreds and hundreds, and they followed this one guy who was going out again and again. And then the, the community would sit around and, and, and debrief about what they were dealing with by themselves. But that was just a tip of just this incredible diaspora of refugees. Dukkha in this world. This is what we open to when we come out of our, the tangle of our thinking. And I don't know about you, but it, it drops me right into, into uh, some kind of poignancy, some kind of meaning, some kind of tenderness that I can easily uh, lose and go into a place of, of fight, flight, or freeze, uh, kind of go into a state of tension. Somehow just taking in, this is part of life. I'll just go through the list because I could t- talk about each one, but flood victims, I was just, you know, in that, you know, I wasn't in the middle of the flood, but last week I was in, uh, during that, the hurricane, I was in Austin, Texas. It was, and of course I was quite safe, but it was quite dramatic even for the locals there. And, but now the, the ripple effect of that is just, will be felt for years. The millions who are, who are experiencing the suffering of aging. Definition of birth, leading cause of aging. And it's not easy. The infirm. People who are alone and experience loneliness. Those countless people who feel mis- misunderstood, unrequited, Frightened, all the frightened beings in this world. All the sorrowful beings in this world. All of the broken-hearted beings in this world. All of the oppressed. We can't even, we can't even collate the amount of oppressed, marginalized. So in the face of this dukkha, in the face of this wide sense of being part of this this world that of course has great joy, but it also has great sorrow. In the face of this, how can we quarrel so much, especially with ourselves? How can we be so hard on ourselves? If you suffer, it's not your fault. It comes with the territory. So what we do as yogis... Wow. That's, that's one of my other po- favorite poems. David, who is that? Um, not David Budbill. We're all like bugs in a bowl. No, we're... What's that? Um, I'll have to, I don't have it with me tonight. So we, we extend our hearts to our compassion to all beings everywhere without, without um, limit who are suffering 
and that includes us. It's so easy, in some ways easy, to, to put the whole world in our heart, but somehow we tend to leave ourselves out of the equation. Do you regard yourself with the same care and mercy as you do every other being in this world? And why are you immune? Why should you have any less? You know what the Buddha said, that you could scan the world in all directions and not find anyone more deserving than oneself. So we're scanning a little tonight, but circle around and open to your own dukkha. Dukkha is the word for suffering, that which is hard to bear, stress, all that, all that was named tonight. That's, that's part of our life. Why I focus on this is this is actually a doorway. This is a doorway to freedom. Those who run from dukkha end up stuck in it. As Rumi, the poet Rumi says, the cure for pain is in the pain. Good and bad are mixed. If you don't have both, you're not one of us. The cure for pain is in the pain. It's never hurt anyone to open with loving kindness and care to other suffering or to our own. But what hurts us is if we, if we close off our hearts, close off our minds, when we get preoccupied, that's when we hurt. That's when we, we lose that sense of orientation, a sense of home. So because we have the habit of losing our sense of orientation, losing our sense of home, losing touch with this quivering heart, we practice it. So we don't just practice loving kindness. You know, I talk a lot about my, my own practice of stealth metta. Where I, under my breath, I love you, I love you, may you be happy, may you be happy. And how much it transformed my experience of being in this cold city. It's not really cold, but it seemed cold when I moved here. And it, it so transformed my experience that it's become a habit. In fact, my wife today told me a story. She was entering onto the freeway and where, the, where one car has to yield to the next, she caught the eyes of the person who, who was yielding and she smiled broadly at that person, which was her form of metta. He smiled broadly at her and she said, it was love. It was love. That option, that joining, that connecting is so available to us in so many circumstances. But we don't save it just for those juicy love moments. We save it for, for our hearts going out to Kevin or to whoever needs it, whatever group needs it. We deeply welcome everyone into our hearts. And I thought that I would share with you a stealth kind of compassion practice that you can do. Well, first for yourself. The, word, the simple version is, may I be free of suffering. Wishing that for yourself. May my heart be free of suffering. Another version of that is, I care about my suffering. 
as an individual, as a unique individual, a unique expression of life, a sentient being, I suffer from time to time. It's not everything, but I suffer. May I be free of suffering? Who doesn't want others to be free of suffering when they're suffering? Unless you're hard-hearted, you want people to feel better. And connecting with that desire for you to feel better. And then if you are especially hard on yourself, if your version of, of lack of metta is, is holding yourself to impossible ideals, perfectionism, etc., four little lines, hopefully I'll do it slow enough so you can remember. It's okay that I'm not perfect. Just say it one time to yourself. It's okay that I'm not perfect. It's okay that I make mistakes. It's okay that I make mistakes. It's okay that I'm a learner, that I'm still learning. It's okay that I'm still learning. I forgive myself to the best of my ability at this time. It's okay that I'm not perfect. It's okay that I make mistakes. It's okay that I'm a learner. I forgive myself. So traditionally, we start our compassion practice, the turning of our attention toward those who are in distress. We start with thinking of someone who we can uh, join with, someone who we know in our life. You don't start with groups. You start with one individual that you know. And you hold that person. You, you create a feeling, an image, a felt sense of that person, and you start radiating the wish that they be free of suffering. And keep telling them in your thoughts, I care about your suffering, I care about your suffering, I care about your suffering. And with each thought, you, it's like you're joining with them. And, and then as you move along, you, you, um, you, you share it with different, you know, with all beings everywhere and with different classes of beings, different groups of beings. But you start with, and of course, if you can't find someone who you can't think of someone who's suffering, and if, if you are that sufferer, then again, turn, turn it toward yourself. But eventually you expand to, to include all beings. And, you know, I don't want to go through the whole practice tonight, but, but let's just, taking all the different beings, I'll name the list one more time. Let your eyes close softly again. And imagine the space of this room to be, the whole world is sitting within the space of this room and all the beings in it, not just the human being, but the animal beings, the creatures of the air and the waters and the earth, all those who desire to be happy and feel safe, protected, all the dreamers, all the North Koreans and South Koreans and all the, those who are starving, those who are ill, 
and those who are caring for those who are ill, all the refugees in this world, all the flood victims, the aging, the infirm, the alone, the misunderstood, the unrequited, the frightened, the sorrowful, the brokenhearted, the oppressed, the marginalized, the unseen, the invisible, and all beings in all circumstances that are difficult, we radiate in this, holding this whole world and all its beings in our hearts, we radiate the deep wish that all beings can be free of suffering. We say inwardly, loudly, I care about your suffering. I join you in your suffering. May you hold your pain with compassion. May your pain and sorrow be eased. May your sadness, your fear, your loss, your illness, may it all be met with grace. May you live with ease. May you be enveloped in the loving heart of compassion. May one and all be bathed in compassion, including ourselves. And may our practice tonight and every day and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit and the alleviation of suffering for all beings everywhere. May all the dreamers find safety and refuge. May everyone be healed. May even the perpetrators of suffering learn to love. May our compassion extend to their inability to see the world with an open heart. May all beings be touched by compassion. May all beings be liberated. Okay, fellow bugs, thank you so much for your attention. Anyway, thanks for your support as well. And Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.